Motherboard, proudly brought to you by Loopy Lou, Lidl's award-winning baby range. Hello, I'm Avril Flynn and you're very welcome to the Motherboard podcast. This podcast series features real parents talking about the beautiful but sometimes hard work of raising children in Ireland today. Before we get started, I just want to let you know about this week's fantastic offer from our sponsor. In this episode, Lidl are giving Motherboard listeners an exclusive offer. You will get 20% off the entire Loopy Loo baby range. All you have to do is visit familyfriendlyhq.ie forward slash motherboard to redeem your voucher. T's and C's apply. And remember, this offer is limited, so redeem yours before it runs out. Today's podcast is entitled Proud Autism Parents and I'm very excited about this one because this is a wonderful opportunity for us to encourage a more positive conversation around parenting children who are on the very wide autistic spectrum. Joining me in studio today is the fantastic Lisa Curran. Hello Lisa, lovely to meet you. Some of you might know her as Lizzie Raisin on social media. Lisa, who after coming all the way from Tralee just to be here, is a mum of one. Her son, Christopher, is eight years old and amazing, and he's on the autistic spectrum. Lisa also has a various array of huge talents. She's a singer, a vocal coach, a music journalist, a social media manager and an event manager. You must be exhausted after all. That's amazing. So to get into it, tell me about your wonderful son, Christopher, Lisa. So Christopher is eight and he, well, eight and a half. The half is very important these days. Um, He is on the autism spectrum where he would be, would be high functioning autism, but he also has hyperlexia. So hyperlexia is his big struggle, but it's also a huge benefit with Christopher as well, because we learned lots of ways to communicate with him before he could speech, speak. So, um... He has, it's basically the opposite of dyslexia. So he can see words and hear them in his head. So then it that goes the opposite as well. So if he hears a word in his head that he wants to spell out, he can spell it out. So that was a lifeline when he couldn't say the words. So he will literally hear something and be able to, to write, it out, write yeah. it out. Yeah, which actually his own name annoys him sometimes because it's uh, Chris, Christopher, but... In his head, sometimes he hears Christopher. Okay, so every now and again, I get it. He comes out with Christopher, and it's little things like that that mm-hmm. kind of annoy him a bit. Annoy him, yeah. So it's just those little things that um, can be a struggle for him, even though it is a blessing in disguise at the same time because he's in first class, he's in mainstream, he has an. And essay. tell me about that decision because that's that is a very tough decision, it's and it's very, very individual for parents it to is. decide what type of school is best. How did you decide that a mainstream school, he has an SNA, which is a special needs assistant? Um, I guess being in Kerry, we are very lucky that there are a lot of places in units and there's a lot of places in mainstream and there are hours, classes are smaller. Um, So obviously in Kerry, you do have a better choice. I know a lot of parents around the country don't have as much of a choice, but I chose mainstream just because Christopher is so good at the academic side because of the hyperlexia. Um, His big thing was social, social skills. So for him to be in a unit 
would have helped him emotionally a little better, maybe, a, you know, those kind of things. But for what his needs are, mainstream was just so much better. He was in, he had to get on with it. He was with other kids. He had to learn how to explain autism to them, explain that he was different. He, from day one, accepted that he was different and had peers that accepted that he was different. So it was just like this big, huge community in this little class of five-year-olds. And his SNAs so far have been just fantastic. Um, because of the hyperlexia, again, he does his own program in maths and English and he has resource hours. So in the class, when they're doing their English and maths, he has his SNA doing his English and maths. So he's still doing English and, and maths. And he's still with everyone. And still with yeah. everyone else. So then when he's out in the yard and when he they go on school trips, he has that extra person. But he is thrown in with the rest of them. He has to learn the rules. He has to learn uh, the routines and for Christopher's type of autism, that was that was the right choice. I and totally routines stick by it. are, you know, what Christopher Huge. thrives on. Yeah, and having the consistency of the same SNA to, you know, during the year to yeah. kind of that's something that kind of I suppose comforts him or or gives him that kind of safety net. Completely, and it's hard for him to gain to build trust with someone as well. So you know, to be comfortable around somebody and to have them as their person. You know, they leave me. And they go in and they have their person. So if something's bothering him, he knows that he can go to his SNA. Or at this stage of the year, as the year is ending, his SNA can read his mind because they're almost two huge. halves of the same person, it's which huge. is great. And it, it must give you a lot of comfort to know as well that there's somebody there that totally has Christopher's yeah. back. Yeah, it's huge. Let me take you right back to when he was born and when he was a little baby. Was there anything to indicate that he wasn't just the same as all that other little babies? Well, he was just the same until he was about 11 months Um his babbling started to stop and, you know, all the mamas, all the efforts were, were just going. And I left it go for a while and then he hit the year mark and he started walking around the place. And the big, big, I suppose, warning sign for me was when um, after his first birthday, he got, you know, the big Duplo blocks. Yes. Out there in every yes. house in the country. And the first thing you think of, even in the ads and everything, is the kid will stack them really high, willy-nilly, and knock them down. No. Christopher organised them at 13, 14 months. Wow. Organised them. So he put them all into blues, all into reds, okay. all into yellows. And then subcategorised them as again. So the one blocks and the two blocks and the four blocks, they were all spread up. And then the lining up started. So he'd line up all the yellows and all the blues. So everything that had to match or everything, everything that was the same. There was a pattern. There was this. And that doesn't seem like a big sign. But I had studied um, music therapy. And by chance, I was put in an autism school. So okay. I had studied that. Um, so whereas another parent would probably have gone, that's amazing. Look, yeah. you know, and it is amazing. It is amazing. But it, for you, it was, it was a, like, this a, is the warning a, sign. a sign. And then it was then that I was like, OK, the babbling is important now. And I did go to um, a doctor um, and they told me, oh, it's your first child. You're 22. You need to relax, calm down, um, give it a while. 
it's it's fine. It's very boys, frustrating. Boys are a little slower than girls. This huge, you know, generalization. The boys always are slower than but girls. But you knew. I mean, you're, you're his My gut bothered me about it. So I went back to my own GP. I requested to see my own GP and... Um, he was so supportive and he just said, right, if, if you think this, you know best, we'll get you in the system. Now, the, there was a waiting list, so I ended up going private. Um, so for parents listening at home, if you are concerned about mm-hmm. your child and you go to the GP, what's the next step then? A lot of forms. OK, so a lot of form mm-hmm. filling. It's a lot of form filling all the time. That, that, I'm not even going to lie, that never ends. I get a letter every year in the door. I'm expecting it in the next few weeks asking me, does your child still have autism? Still? Yeah. I mean, and this, you know, yeah. one of the things you have to explain is autism is a lifelong it is. condition. It is. It's the way a brain is wired. It's wired yeah. differently. But that's not, and nor should it be cured. No. But it is something that is going to, yeah. you know, be a mainstay for Christopher's life. It so you is. get a letter to say, is I, he still? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So because, and that's because I do get carers for him. And, um, which is huge, especially during the summer months and everything. Um, but yeah, you get that letter every year. So there's that just there's just so many breaks in the chains at the moment. Um, but it is important to say, I wish somebody said to me at the start, OK, you are going to be filling forms out forever. forever. You are. And you just have to get used to it. Now I'm just used to them. I could nearly tell you the answers without looking at the sheet. Um, so they get easier. They get... The first round of forms where you fill them out, that was hard. Because you're literally, you're you're bad-mouthing your child. You're saying he can't do this, he can't do that. And you feel like you failed somehow or, you know, because there's no set in stone, this is what causes autism. You instantly go back and back and what did I do and what did I say and did I eat something while I was pregnant all these things go through your head and then there's all these myths about like the vaccines and about which is total not a rubbish it, yeah. you know at and the end it must of the day, be hurtful to you it's awful and these people saying you know it's a totally different topic but people to turn around and say oh I can't give my child um, the vaccines because they'll get that autism yeah, which is just and so it's like, ridiculous. You know what? I'd rather have my Christopher than, you know, have them with a life threatening illness that, you know, is a lot more serious. Autism is great. It is hard, but, you know, I couldn't imagine Christopher without it now. I think everything that makes him him is from autism, but it's more from his coping mechanisms. So his quirks and his way of looking at the world. I, I've, I've actually learned so much from his attitude on life. And I think that's because what you have one to hold the, on to. One of the things that I read is that he is just straight down the line. Oh. So he sees it mm-hmm. and tells it as he sees it, which yeah. is kind of a really mm-hmm. amazing trait. Oh, we, I think we all lose that. We completely, we become people pleasers. And he's not a people pleaser. If he likes you, he will absolutely adore you if he does not like you he'll be polite but you'll know he doesn't like you and that's it he's he's like look you're there I have to deal with you but no you're not you're not a person I like and you know we can learn an awful lot from doing that he doesn't waste time on things that he's not sure about or that he's just he's not willing to give the extra effort for um, because there's not a payback for him and 
it's interesting. And that's kind of an amazing way, though, to it's, see it's the world. Amazing. And, and to, I know he's never going to be a sheep, is how I absolutely. put it. If somebody says, oh, you do this, Christopher, which you always worry as a special needs parent across the board. You always worry, are people going to take advantage? Because there is a vulnerability there, there in is. his openness. There is. In the openness, there completely is. But he can turn around and say, no, he's like, no, I'm not doing that. And I have that confidence in him that he's he's learned that so well. Well, he hasn't. It's it's in him, but he's it's stuck with him. It's never been taken away from him. And that's why I love the people that do understand. They don't try and change them. They just go, OK, but sometimes you're going to have to deal with these things. And then you teach them the coping mechanisms for that. But apart from that, it's, it's yeah, very straight down the line. <laughs> and did you find when he was diagnosed and you were sorting stuff out, mm-hmm. did you find people were understanding or did you find that sometimes people drifted off or didn't know what to say? And if somebody's listening at home whose friend or relation has a, a, a little person that has special needs, what way can we be more compassionate and support people like that more? Um, the way I always say, and it's probably not a nice way to say it, is when I, f- I always knew Christopher, I went in and I said, Christopher is, is autistic. I need a diagnosis. But the day I got the actual diagnosis, it's a long process. It takes 18 months. There's a lot of tests. There's a lot of developmental um you know, milestones that they have to see. Do they meet over certain periods of time? Yeah. And the day you get that letter, I think because you're in the fight, you are going to hit the ground running. I did. Any other autism parent I met, they they get that, that shock, but they hit the ground running and they're like, right, I have the diagnosis. Because before that, you'll get, again, you'll get all the forms for when you get your diagnosis letter to apply for carers, apply for schools, apply for um, special places in, in, in different things, um, depending on your child's needs. They're all already in lined up at home in your filing cabinet. And all you need to do is slot in these diagnosis letters, all the copies of them. And that's what you do. And you go to bed and you feel like, you know what, I was right. I've achieved something. But in the weeks after and ev- everyone around you then is like okay this is good she's dealing with this this is great she the diagnosis this is fantastic this is going to be a good thing but then the weeks after you start to the you've done the fighting and then you're at home in my case I was at home with a little boy he couldn't talk to me he couldn't make eye contact with me no matter how much I called his name no matter how much I tried and it was it was a really lonely time and friends that came into the house, you know, where I was very grateful they changed the, the subject because my whole life was cut up for 18 months in this. It was they just brushed it aside saying, you know, she's gotten the fight now. She's good. This is the end. She's got the diagnosis. It's just the beginning. And I sat there and I'll never forget it. And so what age was Christopher when that? He was just four. OK. Just just before the four. So I remember sitting down, it was about two weeks later and I cried and I cried and I cried and it was just a really quiet day. And, you know, every mom, the minute that they're, they, they get pregnant, you start thinking, you know, especially if you find out if it's a boy or a girl. And if I found out it was a boy, he was going to be Oliver in every musical. He was going to be, you know, all these parts, all these roles, 
everything. He was going to be an Irish dancer. He was going to be a footballer, a golfer, everything. And you have to park it. Yeah. So it's it's basically being blunt about it. It's like you have to mourn that child you pictured in your head. Because you have to, and that's when the reality sets in. And it's like, he might not be able to do those things. And I say might not now, but back then it was like, he'll never be able to do these things. It was all the panic hit me at once. He'll never do that. He'll never do this. And as the years went on and as his coping mechanisms came on and as his therapies kicked in, you start to, you, you change it to he might not, but he might. And there is a lot of things he's done that I never thought he could do. Or he might do. do something else yeah. equally as amazing. That's the thing. Like, he is amazing. Back then, we didn't have the hyperlexia diagnosis. So we were using this thing called PEX. It's a picture exchange communication system. So it's a way to communicate yeah. with, you know, it's an easier way that's kind of wired into the way an autistic child would see the world so exactly. that they can communicate more easily with you. Perf- perfectly described because it's hard to describe and it they're they're like little comic strips but they're velcros so you should uh, my house was like a factory for for weeks with my laminator hear the sound of yeah, it being ripped the laminator <laughs> and the velcro and the laminator and the velcro and um you just you do all these little things to help where i discovered christopher was reading you know there was a happy face but happy was written underneath it Christopher was pointing to the word and not the face. So I started covering the actual pictures and just leaving the words just to see was it my imagination. And that's how we discovered the pecs. He could he could read the words in his head phonetically. And likewise, I got a whiteboard and he could write out words. And I was like, nobody taught you how to do this. So he had this, an he had this tattoo, he, which means he, he could self-learn. He could self-learn and he still does to this day. Um, so that was a huge lifeline to be able to go, OK, it was the first time I went into his world. I didn't make him do the pecs. I went, OK, what's your version of this? And from that moment, every time something isn't working, I just step back and go, OK, how is he seeing it? We won't need to adjust this. And that's what you have to think of. So my child might use the words. Another child that has autism will use the pictures. Another child that has autism might absolutely hate pecs and they're all okay and that's fine. Some kids like the communication devices that speak the words out. Some people hate that automated voice. I mean, it's so different. It's so hard to call and that is the difficult part of autism parenting because you're given this, 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 this and you try them all and none of them work. And then you go back and it's it's just you have to just remind yourself, take that step back and go, right, how are they seeing it? And that was a huge lesson that I learned. And everything from his speech and everything point of view really got a lot better when he discovered, oh, she gets me. You know, it, it, it really built that trust with me. With Which him must as have been well. lovely to have Which that understanding and, and connection. Yeah. And it was it was. It was, he'd never spoken to me, but I felt he was speaking to me when he was writing down the words. And then naturally you just start sounding out the words and he started copying a bit and eventually it all came together and he did start talking in an English accent. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> which is also very common um, from all the you know the iPad apps and uh, the things Peppa that you tried all of yeah the and even voices. all the materials um all the materials in a lot of you know the therapy sessions are you know these these automated nearly English I say they're like elevator voices so he came out with that kind of voice which is so funny um so there's always that little tweak of humor I find in autism as yeah, well and, and you, you have, have to, to take ha- you it you have, have to hold on to it you have to hold on to it and did you find at that time that you find out kind of who your real friends were oh. and 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 not as the case may be hugely and I mean it, it wasn't their fault and I don't actually hold it against anybody that walked away from the situation I couldn't do things you know and I was 22 my friends were still all going out and going on holidays for two weeks in Portugal and all this stuff and I, I wasn't um, but it wasn't like they could just call into my house either. And it wasn't like I could just bring Christopher to go meet them in a restaurant. So that was hard for them to understand. It sounded like a lot of excuses for people that aren't living with it. Um, I do wish a lot more people kept trying. And I don't mean it as in trying, you know, keep asking me to things, but just push it a little bit. I mean, my real friends went, okay, you think Christopher can't go to that restaurant, but let's try. And if he has a meltdown or he's upset, we'll take it in turns to go for a walk with him. And that's what you need to do. Um, So again, again, it's readjusting. Changing things slightly yeah. to suit Christopher's needs mm-hmm. and to include him yeah. as opposed to trying, you know, to uh, trying to change Christopher exactly. to fit the yeah. and situation. It, and those friends have been amazing to me because, yes, for example, the restaurant thing. The first time we went to a restaurant where Christopher hated it, loud noises, lots of people, lots of smells, lots of colours, lots of accents. Because, you know, in restaurants, there's people from everywhere, especially in Kerry. Um so it's a lot when you sit there and think of it from his point of view. So my friends would take it in turns going walking around outside, maybe, you know, holding him and stuff. Um, but the more times they, and I mean they made me go to these kind of places with him, the more times they made me go, the longer Christopher would last. So they, without them realising, were helping Christopher as well and were educating Christopher about social awareness and stuff. And you do have to push. I was very worried going out with my friends um, that they would judge me or they'd they'd say, oh, you know, she doesn't, she's not a good mom. They'd, they'd go home and they'd go, oh, do you know what? Can we stop asking Lisa to these things? I can't deal with this setup anymore. And a lot of it was in my head. And the good friends didn't think that. And the people that were scared, I'd, I'd never say they were bad friends, but they were just scared of the situation. You have to let them go. And, and focus and on the people okay. that are there for yeah. you. And that's OK. And it is sad. But I can honestly walk past them now and say, this is Christopher. And they can go, oh, my God, look how far he's come since that little boy that couldn't communicate with you. And, and it's really nice. And. It's it's I'm proud of him and I'm proud of me and I'm proud of the friends that did stick by me and I'm proud of my family for educating themselves, you know, and it is hard, especially um, with older relatives. 
who really don't get it. They really don't. And that's one thing we'll touch on in part two is the different sort of support networks that, that you have. That's the end of part one. But don't go anywhere because in part two, I'll be asking Lisa just how she remains so positive and why we need to all change our mindset when it comes to autism in Ireland today. In this episode, Lidl are giving Motherboard listeners an exclusive offer. You will get 20% off the entire Loopy Loo baby range. All you have to do is visit familyfriendlyhq.ie forward slash motherboard to redeem your voucher. T's and C's apply. And remember, this offer is limited. So redeem yours before it runs out. Welcome back to part two of the Proud Parents of Autism on the Motherboard podcast. So before the break, we were talking a lot about Christopher. And one of the things that I'd I'd really like to hear about is the support network around you. So when you kind of got into this world, you suddenly realised there were lots of other parents that had gone there before you. Yeah, that was huge. Now, it took me a while to have the courage to look them up. I guess I, at the very beginning, I was very open about autism. Like I, I actually posted Christopher's diagnosis letter on Facebook. I blocked out all like the private bits, but I did. I put it up there and I said, you know what? If I'm not proud of his diagnosis and I'm hiding it, how is he ever going to be proud of it? And the amount of people that reached out to me from just that network alone going, my cousin has autism. My friend is an occupational therapist. My aunt in Timbuktu has three sons with autism. And I was like, OK, I I, I do have a cousin with autism. Um, but these people were, were now my people, if that makes sense. So then I had the confidence to look further and go, okay, there's autism groups, there's autism forums, there's autism websites. Now, you do, obviously, like everything else on the internet, you do have to be careful about what you read. So that's where I started actually moving more towards Instagram and Snapchat at the time, and finding people from those forums and watching their daily lives on Snapchat and on Instagram, on the stories, on their feeds, and going... I'm not alone. This isn't just my house. And, oh, they're similar to Christopher. That's very similar to Chris- what Christopher does. And then I started messaging people and saying, hi, I have a little boy. He's, at the time, maybe five. And he does the same thing. How did he cope with that and everything? And instant reactions. There is not an autism parent out there that doesn't want to help another autism parent. And... People ask me questions and I'm saying, you know what, I actually didn't have that experience, so I can't give you a 100% answer, but go follow this person. I know she's been through it or I know this dad has been through it with his little boy with autism or um, a friend of mine has twins. One girl has autism. You know, there's so many different setups. And there's kids that are, I hate saying nonverbal. I always say pre-verbal because there's always that possibility that they will speak even if it takes them till they're 16, 18, a full-grown adult, pre-verbal, never give up that hope. Um, those people, they, they, it's important to just reach out. If they don't message you back, they don't message you back. 
if they do, you have a friend for life. I started speaking mainly with um, my boy Blue in Cork. She's fabulous. Nicole and her little fella. She's Riley. amazing. She's just so, so sweet. Um, and she started the Through the Rise campaign last year. And she got a load of us autism parents together from totally different places all over the country. And we talk to each other every single day. And to have a little support network like that where you can turn around and you can say, Christopher is having such a bad day. Or I'm having such a bad day. Or we're having a fantastic day. We went to such and such a place. It was so autism friendly. Absolutely write it down your list of to do's. Those things you don't you don't know from your own friends that don't have autism in their lives. So it's been it's been the thing that's given me what I f- say is my fight. When you find your tribe, you know, it's 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 been huge. And because of that positivity in me from feeling that that strength, I think it it completely reflects in Christopher. And I can go to my friends and not talk about autism. I can go to my family and talk about things that they relate to more because I have a place to talk about autism that is understood. It is non-judgmental. And, you know, there's so many autism parents out there that you don't even realise autism siblings, autism nanas. There's so many. And social media, where it can be bad sometimes, it does bring you these connections. Um, So reach out. Don't be afraid. It might, you know, it might take them a day or two to reply. That's with any parent. But it's been a huge thing. So don't be afraid to reach out to people and say, you know what, I'm just starting this diagnosis process. My, My son, daughter, they seem very similar to Christopher. How was your journey? Or... You know, another autism family that you see and ask them. Maybe they will be completely different, but you'll still feel. But there's a common understanding. Completely. And the fact that they might be in your area as well. Like I, everywhere is totally different in Ireland with services and therapies and waiting lists and schools and everything. So it's really nice to find out from other parents and not just your service leader or anything about extra bits you know for example like little that do their autism friendly hour and just to explain leave. to people what that that is because like I did obviously I've done my research mm-hmm. and for people that are on the autistic spectrum you know a supermarket could be very triggery for them with bright lights mm-hmm. noisy a lot of people so how have little kind of changed that a little bit well like a big thing with autism across the board is it's, it's called sensory processing disorder. So now the disorder part, I hate that word because it sounds really bad. It's tricky. That's how I say it. It's tricky. So if you think, if you can close your eyes and visualize walking through, walking in the door of little, the first thing you meet is the flowers and then you get to the fruit and veg. And that's a lot of colors and a lot of smells. Straight up the mark. Then you get to the cold fridges, there's a change in temperature. Then you'll get to the bakery, there's a change in temperature and smells. There's words, especially any any child that has hyperlexia, there's writing everywhere. 
So they're trying to take in all these things all at once and stay safe and remember to stay with mom and remember not to take in all these things at once. And there's people talking and other kids running and noise and moms shouting at their kids to come back and you can't get that today and that's tomorrow. And that's all what we would call very normal walking through a supermarket. That is a lot for a child or indeed an adult with autism to take in. So you might see a child that is older in a pushchair. They have certain, you know, just so they don't bolt off. You might see them with the, you know, the harnesses. You might see them with a service dog. You might see them with ear defenders on. That is to help them process and feel anchored and safe while they're taking in all these things. And that goes across the board anywhere. And the lights are kind of dim. So what Lidl do is they have sensory hours. So I'm not sure if it's the same across the country. I But I know the one in Tralee is six to seven on a Tuesday. Um, and what they do is they turn down the lights a bit. They have staff all over the floor. Um, now they, and they don't interfere. They, they, they'll be stocking things, by the way. But any child or person with autism that walks by, they will say hi. They'll say, do you need help? Um, are you OK? And they'll say it really softly. A lot of the time, people with autism, because they're so busy taking everything in, they will hear you saying hello. They might not respond, but they'll still say hi. And it's this really friendly atmosphere. Um, there's a huge benefit for that. It's like what I said earlier about the restaurant. So the more times that Christopher goes into soup, went into supermarkets, the more comfortable he's the more to be. comfortable he got. So gradually, I brought him in towards the end of the sensory hours and hung around a bit and went in, by the way, forgetting something when it got busier again. But because he had the calmness to take in so much and get familiar with the store and get familiar with the staff and get familiar with the setup and how long I was going to take on average and you know all these things that come into his head and what I was going to get and where they were, he started being able to actually help me. You know, Christopher, where am I going for this? And in his game, in his head, it became a game to go, oh, we're going to this aisle and we're going over here. And it made it was it was life changing to be able to go to the supermarket because what used to happen now, it can still happen if it's a very busy day. Um, we were in another supermarket and um, Christopher, his big trigger is people crying. There's a lot to take in when somebody cries. Their face changes, their mood changes, their body language changes. It's very high pitched. It's very sudden. There's tears. There's water rolling down someone's face when you think of it literally. Um, So when somebody cries, which obviously you cannot avoid, especially in supermarkets and public places where there are other kids, he, he gets very uptight and upset. He wants to fix them. So he wants to instantly go and squeeze them because his release is pressure. So when Christopher's upset, I put pressure on him, give him a squeeze and he has squeezy toys and chewy toys. And that's his release. Every child is different on the spectrum again. But there's loads of tools for kids that like pressure. Christopher would drop to the floor if you heard somebody crying back in the very extreme times. And people would walk past and instantly think 
you're not controlling your child. And that was really hard. Um, the first few times I would just instantly leave and get upset, which Christopher's trigger being somebody being upset was just this big vicious circle. So eventually I started bringing people with me going shopping, which obviously you can't do all the time. And they might take Christopher and calm him down or take him and distract him and help. But it was the people, it was the other people. You know, you don't know what's going on. And a lot of it, it, I, I would like to say that it was the older generation, but a lot of them were fellow moms going, look at my kids sitting perfectly in the, in the trolley. Or they turn around and say, now see that boy is being bold. They're not going to get a treat. And that's not fair. It's not. And incredibly hurtful. It's horrible. Um, so I started just, I lost it one day. Downright lost it. I just said, my 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 child has autism. It's a special need. So unless you're going to help, stop. Keep going. Stop looking. Keep going. But go on with just, your day. Weren't you just right though, Lisa? I mean, you uh, you come across to me as in the best possible way a real tiger mom. Like you yeah. would do anything for Christopher and you would defend him, but you're also fiercely proud of him. And one of the things I want to ask you is you have a massively busy life aside from Christopher. Christopher mm-hmm. is a hugely important and wonderful part of your life. You are so such a well-rounded, you've so many interests. How do you manage to keep all of those things going when you do have so much on? Well, I guess because you give over your whole life, and I mean your whole life, to the diagnosis process, you do feel like you lose a bit of you. Um, so... I finished my degree when I was five months pregnant. I, Christopher was born on the 1st of October and I graduated on the 1st of November with him in one arm and my degree in the other arm, standing there in my cap and gown. I was like, no, I did this. I did both of these things, look at me. And I always kept that with me, going, no, I worked hard. And how can I tell Christopher to work hard and keep going if I'm doing nothing that he can see, if you get me. So he knows I work hard for him, but, you know, doing other things. So I started off really small. You have to, just to build your own confidence and and find yourself again. Started off really small, teaching little choirs here and there. And literally find your voice. Yeah, literally find my voice again and um, music is so important to me it always has been and the fact that by chance I learned about autism through being in in the Cork School of Music doing music therapy I felt it was where I wanted to start and I started teaching choirs and it was hard at the start because I was teaching kids that were six and seven and I could see how much they could do. So I did get a bit of a knockback because I found it was very emotional. But then I said, you know what? I can learn a lot from these kids and get an insight into that age group's brain that I can bring home. So I did use it to my advantage as well. And then as I felt more confident to do more things, And other people felt really confident in having Christopher with them 
for the hour or, you know, for the half hour. And I felt like, okay, this is this is working out. He's okay to go with people. I can push it a bit more. And now, by no stretch of means, do I do a lot of work? I still don't call it work. I, I love it too much to call it work. But I might work one evening, two evenings. But a lot of the stuff I do is while Christopher is in school. And finding that balance is really important because he goes away from me and he's him. And while he's going off being him and being independent, I'm going off being me. And then we meet up at three o'clock and we've both had our outlets and we can start again. And we have stuff to talk about because he asks me now, what did you do? And I actually did stuff. I didn't just clean his room. And that is a rewarding thing to do, being around the house and having it lovely. But to go out and go, I met people. I met this person. I was singing this song. I had these boys and girls and to show them a picture and to have those kind of things is really important. But it is hard. You are tired, but you're tired anyway. That's the way I look at it. Like you're going to be tired anyway. And to know you're tired for the right reasons as opposed to just being exhausted. Exhausted, yeah. But to have something for you because the long-term hope is that Christopher and for any child on the spectrum, is that they will be independent and they will be able to live on their own and they will need less support from you and less support from the system and go out there into the real world. And it was actually my nan that really drove it into me. If this is your hope for him, where are you going to leave yourself? So you need to hold on to something so that when that day comes, you have something too for you that you can fully dive into. Um, and have that little lifeline. I mean, there's days where you, you really hate autism. You really hate it. And to be able to go out to work and distract yourself from it and come home with a fresh mind is huge because you have to let it out somewhere. A lot of people use the gym, use walking. But for me, it's definitely diving into music and having it as an outlet for me is Huge, huge. So for parents listening at home, what would be the take home message that you'd love to impart in them about how amazing your son is and how amazing your journey has been? Autism is complicated. Nobody is going to say it's easy. And it gets easier. Not because it actually gets easier, but because your team gets more coordinated. The people around you get more coordinated with you. You get more coordinated with your child. Your child gets more coping mechanisms. And that's what makes it easier. So when I turn around and I'm talking about the good times of autism, I have been through the worst ones as well. But you have to leave them parked. You can't bring them into the next day. You can't bring them into the next hour because, you know, autism parents, you have to completely think differently. Most parents will think, right, he's going to go to this school, so in five years' time he's going to do this and he's going to do this in the future. I I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow with Christopher. 
he's having a great day today, but tomorrow might be hard for him because something might throw him off and it might take four or five days to get over that. So you have to park the bad days and you have to hold on to the good times, run with them, celebrate them, shout it from the rooftops. And when your child sees you celebrating them so much, they want to do more for, for that reaction. And it takes time. Christopher is eight and a half. The last eight years have been long. But we're getting there. We're syncing up. I get him. I went into his world. And in turn, he's taught me about a world that I never would have known about. And it's one where there's absolutely no lies. There's no people pleasing. There's just this imagination that will hopefully just keep growing and growing and growing and he'll cope and he will find all these mechanisms to be independent and you have to just keep hoping for those things and in that hope people will come behind you they'll rally behind you there's a huge community of autism parents that are all hoping the same thing and when you find them your hope just grows and then your child's trust in you grows and then every milestone starts becoming closer and closer and don't give up. You're amazing, Lisa. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you today Thank and you hearing so about your lovely son. I mean, I think to anyone at home, I think we, we hopefully have encouraged more positive look and a more understanding look yes. at autism and the huge spectrum to which amazing children can sit on. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to follow Lisa on Instagram, please do. Her uh, page is Lizzie Raisin and it is fabulous. You'll see her tagged on our family friendly HQ Instagram page and my own page as well. Lastly, thank you to everyone for listening. Do subscribe to Motherboard on whatever podcast platform you listen to it on and give Family Friendly HQ on social media to see all the more expert opinions and also to listen to other podcasts and to listen to great parents. And that can be found on FamilyFriendlyHQ forward slash Motherboard. And you can also find this week's special offer there. We'll see you next time. And again, thank you so much, Lisa, for that amazing chat.